This is the Only in Miami show, hosted by Grant Stern. Tonight's show is underwritten by Morningside Mortgage Corporation. Morningside Mortgage Corporation keeps the Only in Miami show commercial free. You can find them online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. We have a wonderful, wonderful show for you tonight. We have a very special studio guest with us, Joe Cardona. He is a Miami Herald columnist and contributor, as well as a Emmy Award-winning director of such documentaries as The Day It Snowed in Miami and Miami Boheme, as well as 18 others. And he is going to be with us in the studio for the entire 7 o'clock hour. In addition, we're going to have a quick call at 715-720 from David McDougall of Emerge Miami. They meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Sweat Records, which is on 55th and Northeast 2nd Avenue. And at the top of the 8 o'clock hour, we will have a call in about the TPP, if you're keeping up with that, from Bruce Wayne Staley. He is the co-chair of the Miami-Dade County Green Party, and he'll be calling us at 8 o'clock tonight to discuss the Trans-Pacific Partnership Treaty, which is a hot topic in Washington today. This is the part of the show where you give me, your host, just a couple of minutes to opine about something that's important to everyone in Miami, citywide, or possibly beyond. And tonight I'd like to discuss the fate of a, an area, a piece of land that used to be called Parcel B, but is now being called Dan Paul Park. And I would like to congratulate those who took a stand and decided to declare this parcel, this piece of land behind the American Airlines Arena, it's four acres right on the water, prime real estate, and declare it as Dan Paul Park. Now, for those of you who may not know, Dan Paul was a Harvard grad and First Amendment attorney practicing in Miami for many decades and a civic philanthropist. Dan Paul represented the likes of not only the Miami Herald, but also the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. So it's an appropriate person to name such a park after who has nothing else named after him after many decades of public service. He passed away uh, just a few years ago. And uh, again, I would like to thank the people from the uh, UEL, the people from Emerge, uh, politicians like Javier Suarez, Xavier Suarez, uh, Audrey Edmondson, um, I hear Mark Sarnoff attended, and I would like to thank them all for getting behind the people who want a park in Parcel B, which is what the Miami Heat promised when the American Airlines Arena was financed and voted upon over 15 years ago. And I would also like to thank Glenna Milberg, because Glenna reported on the gates being locked. It was kind of tragic after all of the wrangling that these fine folks at Emerge Miami and specifically Justin Wales uh, went through to get a day at the park, a day that was promised over 15 years ago, and this is just the first one so far. Uh, and it was tragic to see 
the night before in the morning of that the gates were locked and Glenna's reporting, her fine reporting, exposed that before 300 people were to have shown up the following day and rather than being locked out, they were able to attend the event that they created, which was just a quick picnic in the park. So keep your eyes open and keep your ears open for Dan Paul Park. This may be the first time you've heard of it, but it will not be the last. We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Bump the tweeters and the speakers, turn the baseline up. If you're toasting, what's your potion? It's swelling up your emotions. Roller coasting, dance promotion. She's ego tripping. You're boasting. Focus, 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 focus. Five and dime. You're cute. She's fine. You're halfway there with this video rhyme. You can fake it till you make it. Like I wish I'm a star. Put your hands in the air, cause you know who you are. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're back live with Joe Cardona. Joe, thanks for joining us tonight. Hey, thank you, Grant. So it's great to finally have you in here. You called sure. in once or twice. Sure. And we talked about Miami Boheme quite a bit, which is, uh, it won a Suncoast Emmy recently, yep. right? Yep. Uh, but we never got to speak about the day it snowed in Miami. And boy, did it snow. Boy, did it snow. All about kinds of snow. Six months before I was born. <laughs> I hate you. I missed it. I, hate I missed you. it. <laughs> oh, uh, you, you personally re- recollected this uh, snow? Uh, absolutely. I was walking uh, to Twin Lakes Elementary in Hialeah, and uh, I must have been, uh, let's see, in the, uh, I don't know, fourth grade, something like that. Okay. And uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty cold. I bet it was. Yeah. <laughs> so. Although although temperature was was high because back then it was the Anita Bryan ordinance and that was all over town. You know, people were talking about pro or anti, and I remember as a little kid the conversations being everywhere. So you know. t- I mean, tell our audience a little bit about that era because not everybody was there. Yeah. Um, well, it, it was a funky time, right? It was a time when, um, you know. Uh, all kinds of battles were going on. Women's Lib um, movement, ERA, 
and so down here, an ordinance came up, um, which was passed by or proposed by Ruth Shack on the county commission um, to get uh, equal rights, you know, equal treatment under the law for LGBT couples. Back then it wasn't, there wasn't LGBT. Oh no, was that was gay. extremely progressive right. back then. <laughs> it was gay. Yeah. Uh, the gay rights. And, um, and so the brouhaha that ensued was, uh, was amazing. It was a national story, national bylines. Um, Anita Bryant, it passed, um, in front of the County commission. And then, um, Anita Bryant came in and, and got the votes to repeal it. And 20 years after the fact, 1997, is, they, when, they passed it is again. when it passed again. So it was 20 years now. If you consider the LGBT community, what they went through in those 20 years, right? So first they had Anita Bryant in 77. Right. Then they had AIDS in the 80s, right? And a yeah, that was a big deal. Who didn't even mention for eight years. I think he mentioned AIDS once, right? <laughs> uh, which is Ron Bow, who was uh, asleep at the wheel, I guess, or just simply didn't care. Um, so well, no, I mean, there was a stigma back then. I remember growing up during the, the yeah. AIDS era and... Yeah. It just it was very very pigeonholed, and people didn't realize that it was just a. I mean, a lot of people had it. Well, you know, gay, and I mean, straight South Beach. It's part of the South Beach story. You know, a lot of men oh, were moving to South Beach just to uh, die. You know, they took whatever money they had left in the bank, and they figured, you know what, if I'm going to die of AIDS, I may as well do it by a sunny beach. And back then, South Beach was affordable, right? Wait, South Beach used to be affordable? South no Beach, way. once upon a time. You're kidding, right? That's a story. Uh, that's a story in and of itself because now when I take my daughter to the beach, it's like you can't <laughs> find parking for less than 20 bucks, you know? And, and Oh, you uh, found parking for 20? That's a really yeah. good deal. By, by the way, the lot right next to Eden Rock, which used to be a public lot, still a public lot, where okay. you paid like parking meters, right? Yeah, so yeah, I remember. Tops, it was like three bucks all day. Oh, sure. I grew now, up like going to those meters. It's like a money grab. It's like 20 bucks. I mean, really? 20 bucks, huh? I got to talk to my friend Phil Levine down there about that. That's pretty uh, scary, 20 bucks. You're not the first person to say something like that to me Come this on. week. Think about it. I, I mean, let's talk about high-rent blight, because this is something that Miami never had a problem with never. before. But we're having a problem with it today. Oh, yeah. And I would say that the heart of that problem is Coconut Grove. Yeah. But South Beach and Lincoln Road are really catching up. You mean there's there's still something to do on Lincoln Road? That's not a homogenous kind of like mall that you find. Oh, just they have about a movie anywhere? theater. Is that right? <laughs> yes, they do. Wow, isn't that something? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I I pine for some of the beach's identity. In fact, not just the beach, but how much of Miami are we losing? You know, how much is it all just American Apparel and and other and Starbucks? Right? It's like we've become that. Right. I mean, the, even the corporates aren't really sticking around them there anymore. Like Ghirardelli had to leave. Yeah. So Calvin Klein's daughter could open up a custom candy shop. Oh. Because right. that's what everybody really was hoping I'm for. I'm clamoring for it. People are clamoring for that, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was a funky time back in the 70s. And, and so we decided to um, shed Bourne, who's the executive producer uh, and really guided this film through. Um, and uh, and now he's head of Camillus. So interestingly enough, a guy who's invested in our community. But anyway, he guided we guided this film through and got it got it made with the help of the Miami Herald, and it also garnered that. Us, uh, that is an Emmy. the day it snowed in Miami. The day it snowed in Miami. Now, which Emmy did that one get? Because there's lots of different Emmys. Suncoast, yeah, okay, it's all Suncoast because okay. we we live here, right? So so the Suncoast Emmy, so that won an Emmy, um, and so. Um, and it went to 187 stations across the country. Okay, right? that's 
That's so, considerable. I I can tell you after Miami Bowie aired, uh, people would walk up to me and go, "Are you that guy? <laughs> the guy eating? Yeah, the- that, that hungry guy." <laughs> How you keep your weight in check and you look like a normal human being is beyond me. Because I, I see your postings and I'm like, how does he do that? Is it real? Are you really eating that food? Greg? Yeah, come on. Yeah, I'm eating that. Food. Come on, bro. Yeah, but on, you know, man. I don't eat that food like five times a day. A day. It's all right. portion size. Exactly. You know, exactly. I might, I might eat half of what you see in that picture. Exactly. Or That's share your it with secret. somebody. Or share. Or take right. it home. Yeah. Oh yeah. For the dog. Hopefully well, not. Doggy bags, but not for my dogs. <laughs> Hopefully no, not. No, no. no, they they don't like that too much. I mean, what goes in one side, we'll let the audience. They'll use the theater of the mind to figure that one uh, out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly. Um, so Miami stories, man. I love what you do because it tells Miami stories. You know, when I started writing the column at the Herald, um, Mario Marquez, who was then uh, head of the uh, in charge of the opinion pages said to me, um, so what do you want to write about? And I said, um, well, you know, issues that affect Miamians. And Miamians, right? So it was like the Cyclops, Miamians. Who are they? Um, I've, I found one or two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Bumped into a few at a heat game here and there. You know, those of us who remember, I don't know, uh, Rory Sparrow and uh, the like. I remember Rory. Indeed. Well, um, you know, we're, we're like a little cult. We yeah. just kind of keep to ourselves yeah. and hang yeah. out and yeah. hide away from everybody. Yeah. Hide from the yeah from the high rises that are killing us and the <laughs> you know high rents and everything that comes with it. And my my recent pet peeve is there's this little spot right on Bird Road, right when you're getting to US One, right outside the Gables. It's not Zone Gables; it's Zone City, Miami. I'm very familiar with that little spot where all the car dealerships are, exactly, they, or used yeah. to be, because now there's like four ginormous buildings going up. Now right. I want somebody to explain to me. First of all, who zoned it? Who thought that was a good idea? That's also a lot of that is City of Miami. Actually, City of Miami. That is City of Miami. And so, who thought that was a brilliant idea? And then, how is everybody like? What's the infrastructure there? Like already, there's like, you know, a huge traffic jam. Well, uh, I will tell you that that is right next to the the Metro Rail. Yes, I mean, if it we is... could ever get people to get on the Metro Rail, right? Oh, people are getting on that metro rail. They're, yeah. They've had record ridership because of the higher oil prices. Yeah. And, the, I mean, obviously the bigger problem is paying the half a cent for a bunch of, you know, 100 miles of rail. And what do we get in Miami? Three. Uh, three. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was I, I was up in Washington, D.C. recently yeah. in Baltimore, and, and yeah. I mentioned to them this whole thing. And I'm like, yeah, we we made a half a cent sales tax for that. They're like, you pay half a cent for three miles? Yeah. Forever? It's only in Miami. Only in Miami. Only in Miami, my friend. Only I in mean, Miami. Uh, and, but, but we do have MDX, right? Is that what they're called? That that uh, that thing? Tolls? That, the yeah, toll uh, company? The ones that send us the bills every month. And then there's like three different departments billing you now. And you're getting billed by MDX. And you're getting hit by this one and that one and the other one. And it's like, that's fun, too. I like that they call it Tollmageddon. Yeah. But, but they don't look at it as like... The, the end of years of bad traffic policy, and now everybody has to pay for it. Yeah. They, uh, people think, like, oh, man, these tolls are inconvenient. Like, some, some other people should pay this. We should raise the, the rate on Metrorail to pay these tolls. You right. know? <laughs> like, I just want, I, you know, uh, the, 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 between that and the red light cameras or the cameras, uh, you know, the whole thing is just ponderous. And, and, and then it leads people to hopefully take mass transit. Well, that's kind of 
that's kind of what's happening. I mean, Hopefully, people yeah. are like saying, hey, you know, if I could just drive up to Dadeland and hop a train, I mean, come on, think about it. It's 20 miles. Getting in and out of downtown each or that way area. from Kendall to downtown. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you can save 40 miles in your car, it used to be that you'd be like, well, geez, you know, that's only uh, two, three dollars worth of gas, right? No. But now it's like six, no. seven dollars worth of gas plus the tolls plus six, seven dollars worth of tolls. Yeah. Oh, well, now maybe this is starting to make sense for people in Miami. Well, I'm telling you, living out in Kendall now, we were talking about it earlier, and it's it's traffic now 24-7. Well, let's talk about that. What's it like staying out there as opposed to being on the east side? Well, you, you know, I was I was kind of an east side snob. You know, I've always lived on the east, <laughs> east side uh, in one place or another. And, um, and so um, moving out to Kendall was quite an experience. It was quite a um, sobering experience, right? I, I discovered things I, I didn't know existed on the pleasant side and on the pro side, and then, and then obviously cars, right? And I have a friend who, who you know, it's a great opportunity says, to become a best friend with the car that you own. That's right. It's or perhaps built for the cars. car that owns you. More like that. Um, but you know, we talked about it earlier, Grant. It's like there are, you know, if you haven't been out to Kendall in years, and I hadn't, um, quite eye-opening the transit patterns in Kendall. I mean, it's, oh, it's, eye-opening is a good way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, um, there's there's a few words you can't say on the radio, and that would describe it as well. <laughs> a lot of nice uh, uh, strip malls, a lot of uh, shopping opportunities, right, and a lot of parking opportunities because it's really made for cars. Um, it is, and 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 yet, you know, I have found uh, a lot of people who are engaged and and interested in our in our politics, local politics, and it's tremendous, you know. So so that's been positive, you know. Okay, so let's do this. We're gonna take a really short break, and we'll be right back. This is the only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show. And I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're back with director Joe Cardona and guest Dave McDougal of Emerge Miami. Dave, thanks for calling in tonight. And um, we also have Justin Wales, also with Emerge Miami. The two of us are going to sit for this interview with you. Hey, awesome. Man. We got a two for Justin. Thanks for calling in. No problem. So, uh, guys, tell our audience a little bit about Dan Paul Park and what you guys did on Saturday afternoon. So Dan Paul Park is a um, three-acre plot of land right on the waterfront, um, right next to the American Airlines Arena, and it's on the bay. It's a beautiful spot of land, but it's covered with asphalt. And there's a barricade fence with locks on it that um, restricts the public from using a park that was originally um, scheduled to be part of the um, American Airlines Arena development in the very beginning, back in 1996. But we're still waiting decades them to actually make it into a park that's publicly accessible. So, uh, what are the what's the county planning to put onto that space right now? Well, it's it's somewhat unclear. Uh, not too long ago, the county voted to approve the um, uh, a resolution to build a Cuban uh, history museum on the parcel, subject to the museum being able to be funded by private donations, uh, mm -hmm. private funds. They are in the process of, I think, gathering money, but who knows if or when that will be. Uh, I, uh, how many Cuban museums, that. how many Cuban history museums would Miami have if that museum was <laughs> built? The fourth one. Yeah. I guess you can never have enough Cuban history in Miami. In a parking lot that would be right at the waterfront. Yeah, I, I heard that they're thinking about doing a uh, parking lot with a park on top of the parking structure. And our position is it's a beautiful park. It was promised to voters in 1996 as a beautiful park. Uh, so when we found out, you know, there was a gate obstructing access and asphalt all over the, uh, the parkland, we decided, well, you know, if the county's not going to turn it into a park, we're just going to turn it into a park. And if the county's not going to name it, hmm. we're just going to name it. And we did. And over the weekend, uh, about 300 people joined us, including... Commissioners uh, Edmondson and Suarez, um, and helped us christen it the Dan Paul Park, and, and we had the very first picnic at the park in its 20-year uh, history. That's awesome. So what's the next step for you guys towards permanizing, shall we say, the status of Dan Paul Park, which is right behind the American Airlines Arena in downtown Miami? I think there's a couple things. We're, have, we're taking a lot of meetings with uh, the county commission to try to get them on board with one, officially naming the park, and two, holding the Formula E1 uh, uh, promoters um, responsible for digging up the asphalt and resodding the park, and also holding the heat responsible for making this into the world class mm. park that was promised in 1996. Well, as I understand it, the Heat changed their agreement with the county only in the last 12 to, to 18 months, and yeah. it includes a million dollar a year payment dedicated towards park funding. So do you think that's potentially a source of funding to create this park? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we're working with uh, the county um, in trying to really figure out what our options realistically are to get this park um, you know, 
made uh, and to make sure that there's funds to maintain it so they could create a, a really nice uh, piece of land for Miamians. So, Joe, do you do you have any questions for the gentleman while we've got them on here? Yeah, we, you just mentioned um, the Grand Prix, right? Um, yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about what your conversations were like with the promoters there, and who are the promoters? Well, so we haven't had any conversations with the promoters. We've had conversations with the county, who has have had conversations with the promoters. Yeah, the the um, promoter for that event is Andretti Motorsports. Okay. I they they are the right. local promoter for the the E Formula uh, Formula E races with DHL. Yeah. Okay. So, gotcha. So the, the, the promoters uh, by resolution of the county were able to um, take down some trees and to take down some grass and put asphalt and make that into a staging area for the race. Um, the race for a number of reasons is, is very controversial and uh, the, the least of which really is, is what they did to this neglected park. Now tell us, tell us exactly where the you know for those listening and they've heard of Parcel B, you know the the nefarious Parcel B. Um, tell us, tell us exactly geographically where it sits, so people have a better idea. Yeah, so it is directly behind the American Airlines Arena, abutting the bay. So, so is that where the big yacht is, Mickey's big big yacht, or no? No, uh, all that, the yachts. That's near the Intercontinental. Yeah, all the yachts okay. are parked either inside the uh, the. Museum Park, which has Museum Park comprises all of the boat slip, which is known as the FEC boat slip, which we uh, 12 months ago stopped from being the latest development casualty nice. on this program. Nice. Um, but yeah, so that's that's accessible. You can actually still dock a boat there if you want. So it's I know you, Joe, you have problems docking that uh, that's boat of the, yours all yeah, the time. Yeah, my, I mean, you were keeping up with Rubio, and you know it was <laughs> my, difficult. My it, little rowboat. It's difficult keeping up with Marco Rubio well, like you do yeah, all the time, and I've watched yeah. you try. Yeah, I've I just, tried. I've tried. But now, <laughs> so now it's the it's the land you were saying adjacent or behind. It's the right arena. behind the arena. If okay. if, if if you. But it's not actually under the control of the county parks department. Okay. It's under the control of the county's internal services department. That's a little um, bit odd. Yeah. So, so we're trying to get to the bottom of why that is, and, and how can we, you know, because the parks department is, you know, pretty good at, at, at taking care and maintaining its own parks and, and allowing. Thus, they're the parks Whereas department. It seems like the internal services department does not have the same skill set. Uh, one, <laughs> issue that, one, one issue that we came across when we were promoting this event, for instance. Is I received uh, an email from the Internal Services Department asking for a $7,500 permit to uh, <laughs> basically bring some people to the park and, and, and have a picnic in the park. And I had them, I'm a lawyer by trade, I had to write them a very courteous email saying, in fact, the 11th Circuit and the Supreme Court of the United States says I don't need a, a permit to use the public mm -hmm. park. And very quickly uh, thereafter, um, the County attorney reached out to me and said, in fact, I do not need a permit. Uh, the other thing that happened is when we arrived the day before the event, we noticed that there was a chain um, around the fence outside of the park, outside of Park Will Be. So we did some investigation, and uh, Local 10 actually also did an investigation. And what they found out was the county didn't put that chain around Park Will Be. The city did not put the chain around. And... You know, the key to our thing that they also didn't. So who knows who put that chain 
make sense around there. So we're trying to figure out, oh, you know, why is this sense of how can we take it down? Because it turns out there's never been a there was never a permit um, pulled to actually install this sense around. Interesting. There Interesting. Also, uh, signs saying no trespassing. <laughs> well, you you know, those those signs shouldn't have been there either. These are all steps taken by someone uh, or some entity. Uh, to make sure that the public does not use this land because the land is being used for other purposes, including uh, permanent valet parking by the Miami Heat. Well, yeah, I was just I was just about to mention. I mean, with this latest um, discovery you've you've made or, or shown some light on, how many how much has the Miami Heat promised over the years? I mean, going back to the old arena um, and then the new arena of, of development that just has never come to fruition. Yeah, because because they've won championships. Well, it's it's yeah, not just about championships. Let's be fair here. Now, now let's be fair here and just say that there has been development along the waterfront that would have probably never otherwise happened. So it's not like a empty hole like a Marlins Park where yeah. you know. You walk by Marlins Park and you're like, what's changed about this neighborhood in the last 10 years? Nothing. There's a Marlins Park there now. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, whereas with the heat, there's major, major changes. And it's it's not just the Miami Heat. It was part of a master plan to right. revitalize the area, and it's worked. Right, to a, to a point, yes. To uh, a point. The, the, the question, though, is, uh, like we were just mentioning, how much has the heat itself promised in terms of investment dollars? Well, they promised the park, which was important. I mean, I remember the old Overtown site. Oh, sure. I mean, that was look, a joke. We we don't think of it this way, but as taxpayers, we are making money on the heat because we still own the land under that arena. Yeah. Okay. So there's no guarantee that the heat will stay there forever. But we own the building. We yeah. own the land. Yeah. It's a lot different um, from the, from Marlins. It's park. not. Yeah. It's a lot different from Marlins Park, where, um, you know, we're paying an obscene amount of money. Yeah. Um, and will be for quite a while. Forever and ever and ever <laughs> in a day. Um, you know, it's still it's still a major taxpayer concession. Boy, we're, we're getting quality baseball, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yes, sir. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's definitely not the same, but it's not obviously what we would choose today to yeah. spend our tax dollars on. You know what's interesting about this, this park, the Dan Paul Park, is um, that they, they were mentioning the signs that are up, right? No trespassing. No, this is this is public land, correct? This is stuff. It is that public land. We could all, as taxpayers and residents and even visitors, can can go there and check it out. You know, yeah. that that is in fact why the city of Miami uh, built the museum park all the way around the FEC slip, mm -hmm. because they could have saved probably a penny or two by stopping the plan right there on Biscayne Boulevard. But they knew that Parcel B was back there. And in my candid conversations with uh, City of Miami politicians, they're all very interested in seeing Parcel B become a park and yeah, not and just a parking fact, lot. Um, you know, Commissioner Sarnoff actually came to the uh, Dan Paul Park event. All uh, about six of the now, you know, 15 or 30 people running for District 2 uh, <laughs> City Commission also joined us. So it's certainly an issue a lot of people are, are now paying attention to, and, and we certainly appreciate that. Well, Justin and Dave, thank you both for calling into the program tonight. Uh, where can our audience find out more about Emerge, and where can they meet up with you guys if they want to get involved? 
Grant, thanks so much for having us. Uh, they can go to EmergeMiami.com. We have a Facebook that we encourage everyone to uh, go on and like. It's under, uh, I guess, uh, Facebook.com slash EmergeMiami. And we meet every Tuesday at Sweat Records. So we'll be at Sweat Records tomorrow at 7 p.m. Come out and join us and uh, you know, see some uh, real Miami activists doing some work. All righty. Congratulations, guys. And thank you. Yeah, thank you guys for, for really taking the initiative on this. And for the, everybody out there in our audience, you can find them on Twitter at Emerge Miami. You can check them out on Facebook at Emerge Miami. And uh, they meet every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. at Sweat Records. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Mama always said we were royalty. She even said it's staring in the face of poverty. Is that insanity or vanity? I think it's nothing but the power of the mind. Believe she put it in me. Because I live on my dreams. I get my fantasies wings. One day I'm going to be king. I'm going to make that woman so proud of her son. I know you heard about change. It's going to come. One question. Will you be there? Will you be there? I'll be there with my hands held high in the air. Like a champion. Because I demand the win. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're back live with director Joe Cardona. Joe, thanks for joining us on the program tonight. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So let's talk about this plethora of Cuban-American museums. Yeah. I, apparently, I'm sorry, Cuban-American history museums. Yeah. Apparently, we can't get enough of it. Well, I, look, there may be a dearth, I'm, and I'm serious now. There, there are a lot of things called Cuban-American. I don't know how many tell the, 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 the whole scope of the story. However, my thoughts are, when I saw the plan for this museum, and I have some friends who, who were lobbying for it, and with all due respect, I You're thought— You're talking about the, the white elephant guy, the one they want to put into the Dan Paul Park Yeah, that, uh, that thing. Location. I, I thought, first of all, the amount of money they wanted to raise was just astronomical, and they're never going to get there, number one. And number two— um, why not take some of the resources and the effort <clears throat> and sweat equity 
and go to places like History Miami and places that already exist, you know, and and maybe um, get some Boring. of that money hey, there. Hey, man, you need right. a big building. If you're going to do Cuban-American history, we need a facility, bro. We need to be waterfront. But, you know, you need to... You need to to, I think not just Cuban American history, but, but what history about the banquet general. facilities yeah, that you need exactly. for a history museum? Exactly. I mean, when I look at history museums in the world, the first thing I think is banquet facility. Exactly. Then I think parking. I'm thinking croquetas all the way, bro. Croquetas. <laughs> um, I mean, for for what is it? A hundred million? It's like a hundred or two hundred million dollars worth of it, land it, that they would it, need. It was pretty insane, and yeah. I I think it, they'd be better served, and I think history in general would be better served going places like History Miami. And um, and expanding their exhibit and and maybe um, using some already existing facilities, right? Oh, um, sure. I mean, with the lack of 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 land that we have, I mean, that's our biggest problem is South Florida. <laughs> like, so we're gonna build. I mean, so I, I, you know, with all due respect to those folks, I and again, you're not gonna find more a prouder Cuban American, and a lot of my work. Uh, revolves around the Cuban American community. But, uh, but think about what a great viewing place that would be for Miami <laughs> Boeing. <laughs> it certainly would. But um, but you know, Grant, I, I, I think it's important um, as as we move forward as a city, you know, to be as inclusive as possible, right? So what I say to Cuban Americans is um, now as a majority, because we're not a minority in Miami. We need to learn to play nice and to play with others. And you know, Little Havana is now, I think, an important area because they're they're the the winds of change are coming to Little Havana. Oh yeah, let's let's talk about Little Havana in yeah. particular, um, because there's efforts afoot to rezone part of Little Havana right now. Sure, um, but from what I was told, and obviously this is incomplete because yeah. anything to do with zoning and the slimiest planning director on the planet, yep. which works for the city of Miami. Yep. Uh, if you're looking for slime, just uh, Google Francisco Garcia. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's a, a really wonderful guy. He can say nothing in a thousand words or more. Uh, they're saying that it, it's like to allow five-story buildings. Yeah. Which sounds pretty reasonable to me, um, knowing the neighborhood. Five yeah. stories is not a big upzoning from what's no. there now. But uh, is it time? Is it time as a city? To sit down and really do this kind of self-examination and say, this is historic, this is not, this is yeah. part of the neighborhood? Yeah. I, I Look, uh, a blanket designation I don't think is is uh, is um, called for. I, I, I think we need to be selective about it. I mean, I took a walking tour several months ago um, with uh, some folks, including Arvermore Parks and the like, and, um, and we all kind of concluded that, right? Yes, mm -hmm. there are some places worth preserving. There are other places that are owned by slumlords and <laughs> sure. and and a lot of bodegas selling crack to be quite quite frank with you. I mean, I listen, I go there all the time. Yeah. Um I think everybody probably spends the most time on 15th Avenue in that area. Yeah, uh, 15th on 8th. Avenue in Cayocho, yeah. right? But that's not Little Havana, you know. That's not all that's of it. A part that's just of a chunk Havana. of it. Yeah. We're yeah. broadcasting from Little Havana. That's right. That's absolutely you know? correct. Um, I, I I think it's also important to remember that that it's not just a brick and mortar and, and preserving history. That's very important. I'm I'm really into what's going on now in terms of not just the buildings, but what goes on in those buildings and how welcoming that area is to all of Miami. I remember a few years ago I made a documentary called White Elephant, which had to deal with the old Miami baseball stadium. And I interviewed a couple of guys who had a barbershop in Overtown called the Bandbox and uh, African-American guys, Miamians. And, and when we invited them to the premiere of the film at the Tower Theater, they both told me, like, 
hey, man, I haven't been in this part of town in 40 years. And that broke my heart. But it, it made sense because why would they go there, right? I mean, nothing was there to welcome them or to let them know that, hey, you don't have to be Cuban or Latin to be in this part of town. Well, it's not just that, but there was a language barrier. There was a language I barrier. I mean, I grew up in this town not speaking Spanish Absolutely and then learned correct. it later. Yeah. And I can tell you that uh, going to Little Havana, well, it was different back then, too. Yeah. I mean, it was very different back then. But it was then. off-putting, right? But I mean, it was if you also didn't speak Spanish. But it was also like, how would you even know what was there? Yeah. There was like an information gap there that yeah. you could never, ever overcome. I, I think that now more and more a new mindset is setting in. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, Damian Pardo, and I are even talking about starting, a, uh, and it's it's in the works, a thing called Gay 8. So it's an LGBT festival in the heart of Little Havana. I mean, as a proud Miamian, both you and I should be wearing Gaiocho shirts. I can't run fast enough from that festival. It's not kind to the merchants of Little Havana. It doesn't really represent Little Havana. And, you know, yes, the Kiwanis of Little Havana put on this thing and they get a million people. Um, but, I, I, you know, how, how good is it for the community? I don't know. And is it a festival that all of Miami can embrace? I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you. I've gone to Little Havana. Uh, to Little Havana. I've gone to Kyocha for many years. Yes. And I've had the very good fortune of being a, a carnival ambassador yes. for those events. Yes. So I've gotten to see, you know, just from the normal everybody going there and behind the scenes. and. Yeah. And I can tell you that the character of the festival has changed dramatically in the last 15 years. Yeah, it sure has. Um, when I first went to Kyocho for the first time in you know, 2000, I guess, it was pretty rowdy. As I like to say it, there's a lot of vibe on the street. Um, and what it's it's hard to describe that if you haven't like gone to one of these. Yeah. But vibe is like that feeling that a fight might break out. Something or might that, happen, yeah. That, that feeling of Spontaneous uncomfortableness. Spontaneous combustion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, um, But, you know, it's like they have these police towers. Yeah. Like every, you know, 100 yards or whatever. Uh, so I've never actually seen an episode. Uh, like, I've never seen any episode of violence at Coyote no. at all. So to me, I've, I can definitely tell you I've always felt it's very welcoming. Um. But there's just there's a subtle difference that I can't put my finger on over the last four or five years. And and I think part of that is that, you know, like I used to hear reports from women in particular mm -hmm. that they felt harassed yeah. and threatened at Kyocho. Yeah. But now uh, I went with two very lovely ladies, the lovely Carla Campos and her sister, and uh, they didn't report any of that. It was not like an issue this year, and and I can say that I don't think it's been so much like that in, in recent years. I'd like to see the the entertainment offered at Cayocho and the cultural elements of Cayocho, uh, the festival that is kind of ramped up a little bit. Sure, I think that would help. I think there should be something there. It should be a wide array in terms of the fair offered, in terms of the acts that are there. I think that'll that would help. Inside Scoop, they do plan on actually crossing over some of the, the Carnival on the Mile acts with... I, I think the, that would be a bright idea. Know, I yeah. think that would, that's something I could get behind. Um, but, but I think that goes a long way in building bridges into other parts of our community sure. that may not speak Spanish. You are at somewhat an advantage because you're well, a Platanal, tell you what. as we like to say. <laughs> we, we can't get, you know, it's like, get Grant out. Get him out. <laughs> um, but I think to those Seriously, that haven't... Though, it's, it's not the Spanish, uh, the non-Spanish speakers who are concerned about it. I can tell you right now. It's more the Spanish speakers right. that are like, right. oh, 
Calle Ocho. Oh, oh, I don't know. It's, well, that's like my Cuban friends in Broward County when I yeah, say yeah. come to Ball and Chain or come to, and they're like, oh, and is it safe there? <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it's safe there. It is um, safe, however. Relatively. <laughs> you may have to watch carefully because there's this guy sitting on the corner and he's got the cup. Right. And then there's the guy in the bicycle. Right. Which and, I don't, which I don't understand, by the way, because um, having a police officer there stationed all the time, I think that would take care of the problem. And, and that's where a lot of our tourists go there. Um, it's a huge tourist area. I think people you know. that aren't going there don't realize that the big bus even has yeah. its own official stop. And little Ocho. And they're yeah. going to Azucar ice cream, and they're going in El Exquisito, and they're doing their thing. And and I think and there's Pepe a lot Iberta. there. And Pepe, Pepe Iberta, of course. Um, good friend. But but I think that we need to do more as a community to, to reach out to folks and let them know. And I'm not just talking about the visitors now. I'm talking about Miamians. There are Miamians all throughout this city. It's a big city. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'd like African-American Miamians and gay Miamians and and uh, Anglo, non-Spanish-speaking Miamians to all take part in this rich part of our of our of our history, right? Yeah, our, yeah absolutely. Of our collective. I mean, we've talked about it before. I, we have more in common than I do with a guy off a boat six weeks ago because sure. I wasn't born in Cuba, right? I was raised here. This is what I know. Miami's what I know. So um, I'd like to see my other Miamians um, kind of partake in the history that you and I do every day, right? Well, the, you know, it's just one of those things. Like the neighborhood has stayed virtually untouched for for decades. Yeah. Um, it's gotten cleaned up over the last 10 years. And I can tell you that there was a lot of potential development marked, earmarked in Little Havana over the last 10 to 15 years. And you can tell because there's lots that have been cleared. And sometimes there's even just big, ugly, open pits, you know, in between 7th and 8th or in between Southwest 1st and Flagler. But uh, this is probably the time to go ahead and, as a city, as a community, jump in there and say we need one plan for the whole neighborhood finally yeah and and i think it needs to be an inclusive plan right i think we need to keep uh, all communities in mind and and kind of have a real you know open house feel to it which was literally you know the, the festival's original name right it was open house eight and it was about bringing people into the neighborhood sure. somewhere along the way i think that you know commercial interest and and also funding for the festival which it is very understandable but but that took over and kind of that come into the hood and come see what we have here kind of left and and it became more of this just ginormous commercial entity or project and and I'd like to see more inclusive kind of attitudes in little havana and and you know to the point where you know I might even run for office who knows oh yeah okay yeah We'll have to like that. We'll I drop it. I drop it on only in Miami like that. It's the first time I say it publicly, by the way. Well, we're listening. Yeah, we're definitely <laughs> listening. I mean, hey, you know, we're gonna have to have Joe Cardona, the candidate, back on the program. Maybe, maybe, but it, it, to the point, Grant, where I know you you feel the same way. Sometimes it's like, can we just get somebody in there to just listen and and have some common sense and do what's right and um, and not be beholden to all these like you know, major developers and, and special interests that, that really don't have the, the, the betterment of our community in mind, right? Well, Miami is a unique place because there's a lot of diversity. Yeah. And there's people on the one hand that have deep roots in the community and want to seek elected office. And then there's, on the other hand, 
people that you would never, ever, ever in a million years see out in the community, right. but have $700,000 worth of developer funds in their campaign account. Right. And I mean, I can tell you, I've just never seen these people out at anything I, ever in I, a million I've years. I've seen elected officials who I've never seen out in their district where, you know, 8th and 15th, I'm there all the time, Little Havana Cigar Shop or El Exquisito, and, you know, I never see the elected officials, right? Never see them. No, Rarely. no, they're... Well, you know, I, that's busy. something that I've been opining about frequently, which is that there's so few of them for so many people today. That's right. I mean, the the United States expanded its House of Representatives every time there was a new state. Yeah. And then we hit this point where we're just like, oh, well, it's enough. But we keep having more people living here. And it's the same thing on a micro level in Miami. We, my, The city of Miami had 100,000 people. They had five commissioners. Now we have 500,000 people we have. Five commissioners. You know, City of Miami also needs to, driving here, it, it, I was reminded and I was telling my girlfriend on the phone, it's like, I, um, people forget there are some serious pockets of poverty in this city and there are areas that need help in this city. Well, that's what driving um, helps with. It helps to forget that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think that, um, you know, if you drive around with blinders, I guess, or it depends what part of town you're driving in. Well, but, you know, um, that's, that's what happens when you don't need to take public transit at all right it's just like okay you know you hop you in avoid your car it. you avoid and it and you're in you're in the bubble yeah the car is the bubble it's the safe place right and it's also where you drive it because you can opt to take the highway and not even see the unpleasant quote well that's kind parts. of what makes some of these areas that they're divided by highways, highways. well yeah, they're blighted by highways uh, for urban urban sakes. removal <laughs> yeah yeah that's that uh, the the mimo district yeah in miami's upper east side became a derelict because the highway bypassed it, yeah. and that was it. How about Overtown you, and uh, Well, Liberty that's a whole City. other story. I mean, Liberty City's a little different, but, but Overtown, Overtown, they cut right through the heart of a thriving commercial de uh, district. Yeah. Oh, it's it shocks people. I was telling a, a friend of mine up in Washington, D.C. Uh, about that. He's, he's an African-American guy. He'd never heard of that. Yeah. He never even realized. And that robbing people of their culture, um, taking away what was there, that, that's just especially cruel. I mean, those are the decisions that were made in the 1960s, and here we are in 2015 still feeling it. And and what it deprived us all as Miamians, once again, um, from that thriving community, not just the African-American community, which obviously bore the brunt of it, but but what it deprived this city culturally, economically, I mean, it's, it's tremendous. Um, and now that we're on the subject of Overtown, I want to give a quick plug. Our friend Steve Reutstein and Bala are going to be at uh, Camilla's house this Sunday night or this Sunday eve at 6 o'clock and um, bring food or especially bring clothing. Um, and so bring some clothing, some stuff that maybe you're not wearing anymore, but it's still good and suitable, and that'll be a big help. So 6 o'clock, Camilla's house this Sunday night, Father's Day. Okay, and that's on Father's Day. That's Northwest 7th Avenue and 17th Street, right? It is, and um, I'm being, or I was asked, I asked what, what to take, what is important to take. Bring clothing. And, and Well, the clothing specifically is clothes for men, new or used, new socks, underwear, smaller men's sizes are good. And um, so there you have it. Men's clothing, socks, and underwear, very important. Okay, I'm telling you what, I'm going to blast that out. Uh, so if you're listening on the road, go to Twitter afterwards. It's uh, at Grant Stern, at Only in Miami Show, or at 880 The Biz, 
and I'm going to put that information out there so you can drop it in your calendar this Sunday night. This Sunday night, at Steve Royston and Paulo. Six, and it, shout out to Steve, who's a big fan of the show and, and a good friend of yours as well. And, a huge shout out to Steve. And um, Balo's going to be doing their thing there. And um, Shed Bourne set the whole thing up. And, and Shed's doing some really interesting stuff at Camillus. And, and it's it's worth our efforts to, to help. And the homeless plight in Miami is um, it's an important thing. And it's come a long way. Still, oh, certainly. Still it's, a little way to, ways to go. Yeah, there's there's still a gap there. So we've got about one minute left. Joe, sure. where can our audience find out more about your writing for the Miami Herald? Yeah, right, right from the Herald, write a column, an op-ed piece. Um, they catch me twice a month. Um, and uh, watch for my films. I have a whole slew of films coming out um, probably by the end of the year. Is there a website, Twitter account? What, what would you None think? of it. They can None catch me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook and write me there, Joe Cardona. Um, and uh, and I'm going to keep in touch with you about this potential candidacy. Should be interesting. Should be very interesting. <laughs> Definitely something to discuss after the show, and probably bring it back on uh, pretty Love soon. Love to. Love to hear about it. Well, Joe, again. Thank you, Grant. Oh, we've got one minute left. Wow, wow. they're giving us extra time here. Wow. This is really great. So, what's our overtime bonus, topic? Bonus time. <laughs> Lightning round. Final thoughts. <laughs> Um, listen, I, I think it's important to um, to get involved. Whatever it is, get involved in this city. Um, and by listening to this show, you will find a plethora of information to help you get involved. A lot of times people tell me, well, I don't know. And I tell them, well, you know, this is one of the shows, this is one of the places I lead them to. And I say, well, tune in and you'll find out what's going on in the community and, and pick a cause and get involved. And big ups to the guys in Dan Paul Park. I support that wholeheartedly. Joe, I, I really appreciate you coming on the program, and thank you for that endorsement. Thank you, brother, and thank you for your work. We'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, hosted by Grant Stern. Tonight's show is underwritten by Morningside Mortgage Corporation. Morningside Mortgage Corporation keeps the Only in Miami show commercial free. You can find them online at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. Oh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're on the line with Bruce, Lane, Bruce Wayne Stanley. He is the co-chair of the Miami-Dade County Green Party. Bruce, thanks for calling in tonight. Thank you, Grant. So, Bruce, in a nutshell, explain for our audience, what is the TPP, a.k.a. the Trans-Pacific Partnership Treaty? Sure, sure. I'll try to break it down. There's a lot of acronyms. Uh, Let's so break it down short Friday, and sweet. Uh, the House uh, defeated uh, Fast Track uh, for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, but only on a technicality. Uh, the package they were voting on included uh, TPA, Trade Promotion Authority, and TAA, uh, uh, trade Adjustment Assistance, uh, which uh, is a bill to train workers who lose their jobs uh, due to trade treaties, and that was included as a sweetener uh, in an attempt to get uh, Democrats uh, to vote for it. Uh, but that vote failed, um, and 
but it's coming back up again. The, the TAA push portion of that is coming back uh, for up again for a vote uh, tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, so that's where things stand. As far as the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, uh, that is the largest uh, trade deal ever negotiated. Uh, it covers 40% of global trade. Uh, but the most important thing to understand about um, these agreements is that they're not actually about trade. Uh, they're about restructuring the global economy to elevate corporate profits uh, to the highest law of the land uh, above all other considerations for workers and the environment. Okay, uh, now, now hold on a second. But, sure. Okay, that's an important point. So why would TPP change the existing order and, and tilt the playing field against working people and families and regular human beings that are not named corporations in this country? Sure, sure. Well, um, this, this is happening because uh, while we, we don't have a functioning representative uh, democracy for the majority of citizens, on occasion, public outcry gets so intense, like in the case of uh, the net neutrality debate or Australia's uh, cigarette packaging laws, that multinational corporations don't, in fact, get their way. Um, this, these trade agreements is their, is their attempt uh, to prevent that type of thing from ever happening again uh, permanently. Um, so when we say that these trade deals aren't about trade, there's only, I think, five out of the 29 chapters that actually deal with trade at all. Um, so this is a way of uh, elevating corporate profits uh, to, you know, to essentially be the supreme law of the land so that uh, they can't lose these battles um, due to uh, popular outcry ever again. Wow, that's pretty crazy. Now, I understand that it's very difficult for even our Congress people to review the terms of this trade agreement. W why is that happening? Correct, correct. So uh, the only way these agreements are going to get passed um, and when we say agreements, the TPP is, is the big one, but there's also TISA, the Trade and uh, Services Agreement, and TTIP, um, uh, which deals more uh, with, with, with the U.K. Now, the only way, re way that they're going to get passed is through this mechanism called Fast Track, uh, or TPA, Trade Promotion Authority, which is a Nixon-era process that only gives Congress an up-or-down vote uh, without the ability uh, to make amendments. Um, now, I mean, now Congress has the constitutional obligation to negotiate treaties. It does not have the ability to delegate that authority to private corporations like Monsanto. But in the case of the TPP, um, we, ha we have 600 corporate lawyers uh, negotiating the details of this agreement in complete secrecy uh, over the past five years. And it actually wasn't even talked about until um, early last month. Wow. That's, that, that's a mouthful. They didn't talk about it until basically last month, and it's been a five-year confidential negotiation between our government and how many other countries? Uh, Eleven other countries uh, along the Pacific Rim. So that would be Japan? Who else? Yes, that includes Japan, uh, but, not, but not China. Um, and it also includes um, such human rights violators as Brunei, which in fact enforces um, vehemently anti-LGBT uh, laws, as well as Sharia law, is enforced. And uh, Malaysia um, ha did not make any improvements on its human rights record, and yet there's still um, an aggressive push uh, to get these countries, uh, to keep these countries uh, locked into the, the agreement. Wow. Wh why do we need an agreement with Brunei? It's, 
It's a, it's a good question. I mean, in fact, the more you start pouring into this, fortunately, thanks to WikiLeaks, a couple of the chapters uh, got released, which confirmed a lot of people's fears uh, about what was in the agreement. Uh, I mean, so the, the more you look into them, you, the, the more you find. So it's got everything from forcing American workers to compete against child labor in Vietnam. Uh, we're talking about ISDS system, the um, offshore tribunals controlled by the World Trade Organization with the power to overturn U.S. laws. Uh, it would raise prescription drug prices by extending monopoly uh, patents. Um, it would open the floodgates to more fracking. It would ban the labeling of GMOs. It would backdoor the Internet censorship of SOPA, PIPA, uh, and CISPA. And the list just goes on and on and on. It's a bad deal for America, so, and they know it. That's so the extreme secrecy. Why are both parties so in favor of this TPP? Because, I mean, the, the Democratic Party did manage to hold it up. There's a procedural vote that you mentioned last week, um, which is one of those ironic, well, we're going to vote against uh, trade assistance for workers as a backdoor way of saying no. But why, why is it that politicians from both parties are so interested in this agreement? Yeah, this is, this is um, interesting um, from, from a political dynamic point of view because there's bipartisan support as well as bipartisan opposition. Um, and in a nutshell, it's, it's really a grab bag of everything that corporations uh, could ever want um, now and into the future. So there's a lot of money at stake, and there's a lot. So all of the, I believe the House reps, it was calculated, who voted for uh, the, the TPA um, this past Friday, took about a, a, a million dollars more in campaign contributions um, than those who uh, did not. So it really just comes down to the money. So it's all about the money. It's all about the money. Hmm. Um, and what's it's it, what's what's more is that um, this is this this agreement is set up as a docking agreement, which means that in the down the road, China and other countries could potentially come on board um, and, and and follow the dictates of this. More worryingly is that this this fast track vote, um, which is where the real uh, where the real action is at. Um, would last into the next uh, administration, and we don't know who that's going to be. So there's a, a big question. We, we may or may not trust, you know, our, our current, you know, uh, the president and the executive branch, but if this were to go through, if this vote, um, you know, is, is to pass, if the TAA, the Trade Adjustment Assistance vote, is to um, get flip-flop tomorrow, well, that means that fast track would extend into the next presidential administration, and therefore any uh, laws, any type of um, you know new regulations would be able to bun be get bundled under the uh, rubric of trade, and the fast track would um, still apply. So that's potentially even uh, more worrying is that this has reverberations into the next administration. That's really crazy. So I guess that's the the deal that they made to try and get bipartisan support so that they could say, hey, this could be anybody's authorization in a couple of years. Good luck. Exactly. Exactly. Well, where can our audience go online to find out more about the TPP and how they can take action and contact their congresspeople? Sure, sure. Well, one of the best websites is, uh, uh, I believe it's stopfasttrack.com. Um, you just go to that site and drop, um, type in your phone number, and click a button, you get a phone call with instructions on exactly uh, what to do, and um, it kind of takes you through in a step-by-step uh, -step, uh, fashion 
Um, Public Citizen has been one of the best uh, resources uh, on on the issue. Um, And uh, there's sort of a, um, you know, as far as a a call to action is concerned, uh, well, first of all, everyone should be aware that uh, Debbie Washerman Schultz was the only Democrat in the entire state of Florida who voted for both Fast Track, TPA, and TAA. So if you're a constituent of hers and you think you can change her mind, uh, do give her a call. Otherwise, there's three Democrats who need to be thanked uh, for standing up to rigged trade, and that's uh, uh, Representatives Kathy Castor, uh, Ted Deutsch, and Gwen Graham. Uh, So go ahead and give them a call, thank them, and make sure they stay strong uh, tomorrow and once again vote down uh, the uh, the TAA trade adjustment assistance uh, when it when it comes up for a vote again tomorrow. All right. Well, we're going to publish that on all of our Twitter accounts at Only in Miami Show and at Grant Stern. If you want to find out more, and there is a hashtag that is hashtag TPP Fast Track. And if you want to find out more about the issue itself, there's a lot, and I do mean a lot of information available if you check out the hashtag. TPP fast track. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a couple of them. Uh, hashtag stop fast track. Hashtag no fast track are also um, are also pretty active. Okay, and you can go to www.stopfasttrack.com. Bruce, where can we find out more information about the Miami Green Party? Uh, we have a website at uh, miamidadegp.com. And okay. we're also on Twitter so and Facebook, so go ahead and look us up. Give us a follow. Oh, what are you guys on Twitter? Uh, at MiamiDadeGP. MiamiDadeGP. All righty. Well, Bruce, really appreciate you calling in the show tonight. Great. Thanks, Thanks, Rhett. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show.
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiamishow.com. And we're back with the Drastic Fanatic. Drastic. Oh, yeah. Happy Monday, baby. Happy Monday. Good to hear from you. They let uh, you off work? The latest and greatest. The latest and greatest is... Jose, 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 Jose. <laughs> you haven't heard that yet? It's official. I did when, I was, uh, when Jose was on the mess. Jose is. Time, it seems like a long time ago. Jose is coming back, baby. Is he? They made Come, a deal for Reyes? It's official July 2nd. Oh, Jose Fernandez. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, what? Reyes is back? That's not the old jerseys? <laughs> Nope, 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 nope. Actually, it's kind of funny. This is one of the games. There's like eight games a year that they don't uh, televise for the Marlins, and they decided surprisingly to uh, televise this one. And it's a day game. It's uh, July second, Thursday, twelve uh, ten p.m. Giants at the Marlins, and uh, I'm gonna have to trade for those tickets. What do you think? Coming down? Yeah, that sounds like a wheelie dealy. No question. No question. No question. So. Let's let's start with the the NBA finals cuz that's probably what's on everybody's mind if you're a sports fan in this town. What do you think is it over? Uh yeah, I think it is. You know what it is? What? It is what it is. You think game, it's game 3. Uh game 3. That was it, man. They left it all out there and if they can't catch magic out of um J.R. Smith a consistent magic, more than that. <laughs> <laughs> they got no chance. Consistent I mean, magic. Only a Knicks fan would say consistent only, and J.R. Smith in the same sentence. Only. <laughs> Come on. He, well, you know what? J.R. is extremely consistent. He's consistently inconsistent. Exactly. There you Oof. go. I mean, how can you expect that guy to produce game in and game out on a championship level? He came out on fire last night, though. I was like, okay, he's starting out on fire. But I said, wait till the second. I kept saying, wait till the second half. Wait till the second half, and boom. I mean, he had a better game yesterday than I think the prior two games. He's shooting like 22% for the series. He hit 14 last night. Yeah. Nothing in the second half. Well, that's that's always the problem in the playoffs. Like, the fourth quarter points all come from the superstars. You ever notice that? Like, of, yeah, yeah I did notice that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the deeper into the playoffs you get. It doesn't take a coaching genius to figure out fourth quarter playoffs what to do. I, mean, well, I don't know. Iguodala's well, not a superstar. Well, he is a superstar. Wait a second. He is now. He was a superstar. that far long ago, if you think about it, when he was on the Sixers. Yeah. No, he, he was, was the heart of the Sixers. He, he, he was. I agree. There. I agree. No, he he was. He's incapable of doing it. It's just that he's been a great team player, taking his role as it's been given to him. And he still has, I mean, you're going you're gonna to have a hard time trying to find more athletic guys than Andre Iguodala in the league that could, that could make it happen. Well, I think, I think that the, the coaching staff on the Warriors definitely are proving themselves in this series because they could have very easily succumbed to simply uh, doing what the Oklahoma City Thunder did, for example, and riding Kendrick Perkins all the way to a second-place finish. And saying we got to keep this guy in the starting lineup—it's a matter of pride. That was that was the big change, uh, right? 
don't know if it was a matter of pride. It was more of a, a matter of looking for a spark. No, but I'm saying, like, uh, you know, as a contrast, uh, Oklahoma City, given the chance against the Heat a few years ago, they kept with Kendrick Perkins, even though the small ball lineup was killing them. Whereas in this series, both coaches, even Blatt controversially, uh, have sat their big guys when the other team has gone small. Yeah. So yeah, I tried to match up last night and it didn't work. It did not work. But I mean, I'm st- but that's part of Iguodala's emergence because they moved him into the starting lineup and put Andrew Bogut on the bench. Yeah. And yeah. Lee. Yeah, and Lee, uh, Lee and is playing minutes, but Lee wasn't playing huge minutes to begin not with. That, no, he wasn't. In fact, it's kind of funny. Lee is getting more minutes now than I remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, Draymond Green is getting all the starting center minutes, right? Yeah, it's funny. You know what it seems like out there? These guys are playing chess with, like, a queen and uh, ten pawns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, certainly uh, the Cavs have, like, a plethora of pawns. Well, yeah, definitely yeah. the king, a king and ten pawns, I should say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, that's the problem. The king is the mo- is not the most powerful piece on the chessboard. No, he can only go one step at a time in either direction. He needs that help. is right. There you go. He needs a lot of help. In fact, he has to be protected, not out there exposed Right. Uh, you know, to danger. Maybe he'll realize that when he goes back and watch the two finals that he won. <laughs> he had help. Wait. Let's see. When LeBron, he sat the bench. Oh, you mean the finals he won with the, that he, other franchise? Yeah, that, that other franchise. You know. You, when, you heard about that? Yeah. I mean, did you the think the only in Miami? Yes, the only in Miami <laughs> franchise. I mean, go. what did you think of that? <laughs> the comment he made. The the comment. I mean, good lord, the comment. The, the oh, you know, uh, Look, when I was with was that. Miami and his two and and Wade and Bosch were out. I mean, how many would it be have won at that point though? So come on now. But it never happened. That's kind of the point. I oh, mean, I know. He got a bad luck of the draw. I mean, he got his two big. You know, two thirds of them are out. And so, the fact that he he got him as far as he can is just a great testament to. So do you? So do you think this outcome would be any different if he had Kyrie and and Love? Yeah, of course. What are you kidding me? You don't think so? You think so? I don't know. I don't think they've ever gotten the most out of their supporting cast, as they like to call it. Uh, Uh, Let's let's get the computer up. There's there's a clip I want to play here. Yeah, I mean, just just here. Let me. uh, 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 There's a clip I want to play, and uh, then I'll tell you. Just keep it up. It'll be ready in a second here. You know how it is. They got to play their ad first. Um, we're not going to play that on the Only in Miami show. But, uh, you know, I, I just feel like LeBron made the biggest strides between the first year and the second year with the Heat when he realized that he couldn't do it on his own. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like now he's slid backwards. Okay. It's, uh, well, it's coming up. Oh, you know what? That's the wrong clip. How about that? <laughs> I'll pull it up in a second here, though. It's not too far away. There we go. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, that's the clip. I mean, this is just kind of shocking to me. It's on loop, so. That's simple. Okay, this is LeBron. I feel confident because I'm the best player in the world. That's simple. Think about this. I feel confident. Would you feel confident right now if you were in LeBron's shoes? That's simple. Uh, no, I wouldn't. Drastic. I feel confident because I'm. Uh, not really. No. No, you don't. You don't share I this mean, feeling. Do I think they could take another one? And clear? I mean, I don't know. I really feel like they, those guys have, after Game Three, you saw it. You saw the amount of energy and 
everything they put into that game three, I don't know if they could muster up enough energy after that, honestly. I think they really, you know, they blew it all out on that game. I agree. I mean, I agree. They they came out shorthanded, and they they stunned the world, that's for sure. And Della Vidova, I mean, how much, you know, how much juice can you squeeze out of that guy? I mean, I think, I think it's all squeezed. Drink more coffee. <laughs> nothing, nothing but pulp left. More coffee. So. I don't know. Maybe they should just cheat like the Patriots. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you saw Steph Curry, you know, showed you why he was the MVP yesterday. Yes, he did. You know, we were waiting for that moment to come out, just yep. shooting dagger after dagger. Yep. Yeah, in silly, the fourth quarter. Silly plays. Silly plays. I mean, completely silly. No, and, um, but that's what he's known for. You know, I just felt that that LeBron talking up how he's the best player in the world, it, it was, it was so weak. You know, like he had to say that after Curry had the best game of the, his best game in the series, and let's face it, man, LeBron was not the MVP of the league. He wasn't even close. He wasn't even in the discussion this year. Yeah, it pissed him off a little bit, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he well, used it as motivation. He's definitely the MVP of the postseason, though. you got to give him that much. You know what? He might win MVP of the finals, but not take home how the trophy. Do you, how do you give? But, but is that how, what you the, want? The postseason as a whole, though. That's my point. Oh. You know, like, even him getting him there without. No, I agree, okay. man. This is this harkens back to the, the pre-Miami Heat era when it was LeBron and four stiffs, and they made it to the finals. Mm-hmm. And he yeah, certainly but- surpassed <laughs> their, their performance the Cavs' performance, right. that is. They won two games. They didn't win any last time. Right. Exactly. Right. right. And they probably had a better team last time. But, you know, this is a more mature LeBron, more experienced. And is he more mature, though? More I weather, feel like he's devolving. You know, more weather, LeBron. Yeah, but I, I feel like he, his maturity level is dropping by the day. I mean, I hadn't been watching yeah. LeBron so closely up until now, you know? Um, uh, I have. I feel like his maturity level is better. That comment today, I think that's more of a frustration comment. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I mean, corner, that camera to the head. After that, he still might try to try to fight through. Uh, listen, nobody questions yeah. his physique, his heart, mm-hmm. his Not his skills. Nope. I mean, you know, he's got all those MVP trophies. Uh, whether he's the best of all time or not, I think that's a question that's best left for after he's done. But he just went out there and said it. This is a different LeBron than we saw in four very humble years with the Miami Heat. And this is not the young LeBron that we saw with Cleveland no, back in the day. This is this is something true. entirely new. Right. I, am I wrong or am I just, you know, is do you think this is more of the uh, girlfriend left me syndrome? Yeah, a little combination of the two. Oh, come on. No, I don't think, I don't think <laughs> That's so. That's never going to go away. Come I on. Don't, I don't think so. LeBron is one of the greatest. He will go down in history as one of the greatest basketball players in NBA history. Unquestionably. But at the same time, let's let's go back in history a little bit. Have you ever heard Michael Jordan say he's the best in the world? Have you ever heard Magic Johnson I say he's the best in the world? I do not remember. Have you ever heard Kareem Abdul-Jabbar say that? No, no, Kareem never, never had to say that. Yeah, exactly. He let his well, play speak for we itself. We talk about this. Back then, men were, men were men, you know? And, so, and, and your point is? Uh, men are still men. And your point is? I mean, and, I, I, I don't think I ever I heard know. Kobe. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait, wait. I, wait I, don't, I don't think I ever heard Kobe or Allen Iverson say that I'm the best in the world. No. 
But you said I think you've heard LeBron and Kobe say some kind of reference or another. I mean, I could hear maybe Shaq saying that. That's that's. And like I've a, never heard him say that. He said a lot I've of things. Heard Shaq say I'm outstanding. That's what I've heard Shaq say. Well, Shaq says he's a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. He's the hooper, the hyper, protected by viper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, seriously, this is this is a good point that. None of those guys are running around saying, I'm the GOAT, man. Right. No, no. They let their play speaks for themselves, you know? And they That's let, true. They let, I agree. I think it's frustration speaking, though, honestly, is what it feels like. It's ugly. He didn't speak like that when he was frustrated last year. Nope. He didn't yeah, speak like that when he was ago. frustrated. He had, his, he had his sidekicks with him, man. I mean, he went out, you know. It was different. So you're saying different. he needed somebody he like Dwayne Wade? the MVP of the league, so I think that's kind of like part of it, too. Well, you know. Yeah. All right. And what you're trying to basically say, slow down on that, all that Steph Curry. Yeah, he's the MVP this year. Yeah, he had a great year. And he had a great but, game. You know, and, yeah, he's kicking your butt. Yeah. And, and he's about to beat you in the finals. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean. Well, that's why. Well, that's why. So. Well, okay. So I'm looking at the, the last two games. And in the the last game, J.R. Smith was pretty respectable. He was only a minus six in 36 minutes. Uh, he had 14 points, only one turnover, and he did manage to shoot four of 14 from downtown, which is not great, but not abysmally bad. Uh, and he brought seven boards, two assists, two blocks, and a steal along with that, which is definitely a, a serious contribution on the defensive side of things. But Timothy Mozgov, zero points, uh, two turnovers, two fouls in nine minutes. He played nine. That was the that was the game. What that was game what four? This is game five. He played oh, game nine. Five. He, oh, I thought he only played for like five minutes. I didn't know he played that long. Yeah. Well, in game four, he played thirty-three minutes. He scored twenty-eight points, had ten boards. It was a career game. night for right. him. Yes, it was. And they and, lost by a boatload. And then you bench him. He was actually he actually had the best plus minus of anybody who played outside of the last three minutes of anybody on the team. It's pretty interesting. And you bench him. Yep, they benched him. You put those points on the bench. Well, LeBron only had twenty points in game four in forty one minutes on seven of twenty two shooting. Yeah, bad game for him. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we've been saying this that you can't keep having a bad game in certain areas and just make up for it by scoring a lot and expect to win the, the, the contest. Right. I mean, his, his performance, uh, LeBron's performance last night, 15 of 34 was pretty respectable. Three of eight from downtown, so he wasn't, like, you know, killing yeah. him. Yeah, but he hit one from, like, five feet behind the freaking three-point Yeah, line. and then Steph did the same yeah, thing, like, back-to-back. <laughs> back. Yeah. It was pretty sick. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was. There was some hero ball going out there. Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, unusually, LeBron had five fouls yesterday. Yeah. And he, he finished with 40 points, 11 assists, 14 boards, and one loss. So he's he's averaging about 40 and 40 points a game. He's close to it. Close to it, yeah. Uh, he scored, what, 126 in the first three? I heard a stat the other night. Well, yeah, as a new even when I had a Chris, uh, Rick Barry in, uh, for most of yeah. the first three games, right? Yeah, yeah, because I heard a stat right before game four. He was 45. He scored. He was taking 45% of the shots that, Cle <laughs> that Cleveland <laughs> yeah. took. 
and he was scoring 48% of the points that Cleveland was scoring. You that's, know, it's that's like wow. It's just it's ridiculous to think <laughs> yeah. that a team built like that is going to win anything. Yeah, that's you can't I mean, they're it. just I yeah, you know, I, I just know. feel like everybody else laid down in the east. Smith is just chucking it from his ankle all the time. That's what he does. Saying, Iman Shumpert's at no show. Oh, it's him and Delvadova against the world. Yeah, it's him and Tristan and Delvadova. Well, that's what I'm saying. Tristan's a great rebounder and he'll do all the dirty work, but he can't get anything offensively out of him. Right. He misses all his free throws and he's missing layups. What I'll say is oh. I'm deeply impressed that he's managing almost nine assists per game with such a – I can't yeah. even call them supporting cast. <laughs> I mean, Look, uh, listen. I, you know, me, I was the first one hating on LeBron James when he was here. And it wasn't for, for him, you know, not respecting him as a ball player. It was, you know, the problem I had. It was more like I felt he took the easy way out, joining forces and all that stuff. And now doing it this way, yeah, he kind of, you know, he joined forces with another big three. But I'm just seeing a different, different disposition, different LeBron James out of him that – and I, going into this series, I really thought I'd be rooting for Golden State, honestly. Like, my head was saying, yeah, Golden State all the way. But something about LeBron has drawn me to him that I'm, I'm rooting for the guy right now. It's crazy. I don't know, man. I feel like he's going down the wrong path right now. And it's not an anti-Miami thing either. It's just, I'm just rooting for him. Okay, well, let's, let's hold that thought. We're going to okay. take a real short break, and we'll be right back. This is the only in Miami show. Welcome back. 
This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiamishow.com. And before we get rolling, I want to give a big happy birthday shout out to Brandon Mowry, our wonderful, wonderful producer. He is not here tonight, and he's not going to be here next Monday night, but we miss him. Happy birthday, Brandon. You guys back? You We're ready? Back. Oh, yeah. So, Happy birthday. sit down. He's having fun. Sit down wherever you are, and that includes everybody in the audience, including if you want to call in 305-541-2350. We'll take your calls, 305-541-2350. Sit down. Lance Stevenson is going to be a clipper. Wow. Are you sitting? Wow. Lance Stevenson, a clipper. Is it official, Dr. B? No, it's not official yet. It's not in, official in, in, yet. In principle. In so principle. who's reporting that? That's Bleacher Report. Bleacher Report is reporting this. Okay. That that would be pretty interesting. What do you think, Drastic? Good news or bad news? He had a completely abysmal year. I don't know what his deal was. Yeah. I don't know. Good I don't luck know with if that. That's the way you're trying to improve your team going forward. Yeah, good luck with that one. Uh, see, that is a smart move. Okay, Mark Stein is reporting it that they've agreed in principle to a trade. What's that? And they're going. Uh, Mark Stein from ESPN is reporting that. And according to Yahoo Sports, the Clippers are sending Matt Barnes, who everybody loves, by the way. Everybody loves Matt Barnes with the the Clippers. He's been there for a long time now. And Spencer Hawes, in exchange for. Well, I mean, not a lot of teams need a guy who can't really play defense and is is a pretty average scorer. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's a, he had a pretty good year though last year on Cleveland. They, trust me, they wish they had him right now. Cleveland. Exactly. Well, they Cleveland does wish they had him right now, but. Would he even be in the game? I mean, Mozgov, he can't make it in. What's that? Mozgov can't make it into the game. Why would uh, Spencer Hawes? Well, Hawes can hit the three. He's a perimeter threat. He's not really a post-up big man, Spencer Hawes. True, true. Well, I mean, still, I don't think he would help in their current situation, but that's besides the point. What he lacks on defense, he makes up for a little bit on offense. Do you you um, think that he's the hump guy? But do you think that Lance Stevenson is the hump guy for the Clips? Losing, guys. I mean, do you think he's going to help them get over the top? Dr. B? Lance? No, I don't think so. Nah. The way what I saw, I don't know. I don't know if it was the money that he got paid last year that made him just take it easy in Carolina up there. I don't know. But I don't. Now he's going to Cali. Oh, we lost a fanatic. Oh, I think the fanatic uh, dipped there. Yeah. He's, you know what it is, Lance. There's something about Lance. Uh, he it just <laughs> it fires him up. He he loves Born Ready, yeah, but he he wishes he was a Nick. Right? I don't I don't I don't see. <laughs> he wishes anybody was a Nick, but anyway. <laughs> but I don't I don't I don't see that as an upgrade to the Clippers. You know what I mean? Oh no no don't don't answer. We're gonna keep talking behind his back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, that that's pretty stunning news to hear that Lance Stevenson is going to be on a decent team again. 
Um, but, I mean, what do they want with him? I mean, obviously he's got the skills. Oh, lost the Fanatic yeah. again. Now, obviously Lance has the skills to, to play in the NBA. We saw it, He right? does, but what happened last year? Nothing. He did nothing. He was he, nothing. He, I think he set a record for the worst three-point shooting he percentage of, himself. of anybody who'd ever actually taken that many threes. I mean, I gotta, I gotta look this up. Worst three-point percent uh, shooting percentage ever. I mean, Josh Smith was really in a big uh, race with this guy. But yeah, okay. The uh, SB Nation reported on April fifteenth mm-hmm. that Lance Stevenson had the worst three-point shooting season of all time. Not exactly the record you want to be setting. Hmm. Um. He shot 17.1%, lowest ever with 100 attempts. Previous low was Michael Ray Richardson. Wonder why he was having so much trouble from three. You remember Michael Ray? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, I think he was he was suspended from the league for, uh, for you know, drug use, wasn't he? Some stuff. Quite a, quite a number of times. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he's uh Yeah, he was suspended for a number of things. Yeah. And he was suspended again? He was suspended from the CBA? Wow. <laughs> Just say no, brother. Uh he doesn't like Jewish people very much. <laughs> Enough said. Oh, Michael Ray. <laughs> well, at least somebody came along and snatched that wonderful record out of your trophy case. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so Lance took hundred and five threes in sixty one games and made just eighteen. Wow, and you and you and really you want that on your team? Well, maybe it's, it's, he is a record holder. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the one record you don't want. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, don't I mean, know. I don't know what they see, and I don't know what they see. I'd rather keep Matt Barnes on my team. I I kind of agree, but I mean Barnes is getting up in, in the years. He's getting up there, yeah. But I think he had one at least one left, one or two left. Well, yeah. does he, how old is Matt now? Uh, he's timeless. I mean, a guy like Matt Barnes, he just goes and plays defense, you know? Yeah. Uh, he is 35. He's a scrapper, you know? He's 35. I can see, you know, I mean, think about, uh, like, Shane Battier in his last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he went downhill pretty hard in his final year. He there. did. But Matt played well this year, though. He didn't play bad. That's true. And he Shane Battier play played really well uh, in 2013 yeah. as well. But then 13-14, everything kind of. Kind of went, yeah. It happens sometimes. Your body just says, That's enough. you're old now. That's enough. I've had enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, I've heard my body say that once yeah, or mine, twice. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> what so made me give up my intramural football career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. That's enough. <laughs> okay, that's it. Yeah, I mean that's that's tough for Barnes because he's been with the the Clippers for a long time. Yeah. Um, if you recall, he played for the Lakers, and everybody thought he was crazy mm-hmm. going across town. Across town, exactly. Back then, it was across town. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess they're gonna have the trade call tonight. So when you wake up in the morning tomorrow, Lance Stevenson, born ready, will be a Clipper, living in Cali. Well, let's let's. Well, maybe they could find the old uh, Andrea Bargnani next year too. He's gonna be a free agent. <laughs> wow! I heard he had an excellent season for the Knicks. 
from their Twitter account. <laughs> hey, maybe the Knicks can re-sign Amari Stoudemire as well. You know, hometown discount and all. Yeah. Third time's a charm. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, Matt has been a Clipper since 2012. He was with the Lakers from 2010 to 12, and then the Clippers from 12 to present. So he's been there for a while. He was a real journeyman before he got to Los Angeles. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. Another trip to the Clippers. Seven teams. Mm. So he's he's played for the Clippers twice, actually. <laughs> How about that? He was picked by the Grizzlies in 2002. Uh, fell out. Played with a team that's now in the D-League in Arkansas. Uh, played for an ABA team with Long Beach. Then caught, caught on with the Clippers, the Kings, Knicks, Sixers, Warriors, Suns. Magic Lakers and then the Clippers. But that's 13 seasons, and you know what the NBA minimum is. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. 13. That is a lot. That is that ex, is ex Kobe. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, have you've heard the rumors about Kobe, you know, calling it quits after next year. What do you think? I heard that's not true. Yeah, I heard that's not true, too. Drastic? You think Kobe's going to hang up the gloves? Or is, is, is he thinking another five years? <laughs> I mean, seriously, he hasn't had anything in the tank the last two years, hardly. Do you think that he's really going to survive even one more year in the NBA? I don't know. Uh, it depends on what they do. Nah. they got a good draft pick, and maybe they'll get his juices flowing again. They need five good draft picks. <laughs> and a few years to groom him. Exactly. No, Kobe's done, man. Kobe, come on, he started in this league when he was, what, 19? 18. 18, and he's what, 30 what now? He's that's, He's been in for 20 years, it's too. It's been a lot of, yeah, man, that's 20 basket, twenty years of basketball, man. That's a lot of wear and tear. That's a lot of wear and tear. You can't take it, man. You can't take it. That's it. Just give it up. That is a ton of I wear know and it's tear. Hard it's to high, quit. high mileage. It's hard to quit, man, you know, because you're doing something that you love doing, and I, I get it, but hey. Sometimes you just got to look in the mirror and just, you know, walk away. Well, you know, speaking of guys that have been in since they were 18 and now it's been 20 years, uh, Kevin Garnett. Yep, he's another one. KG was has been in for the same amount of time, drafted out of high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, obviously next year has to be his last year, right? I would think so. Drastic? I would think so. I mean, I would hope so. Yeah, I would think so. I heard that he wants to buy the Timberwolves from Glenn Taylor. Yeah, that's what I heard too. Yeah, that would that would be pretty interesting. Why not? Think? Yeah, why not? Sure, why not? I mean, hey, it'd be great to have more players as owners as long as they do better than Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's he's done better so far the last be. couple of he's years. He's stubborn. That's his problem. Well, he does like Bismack Biombo. Yeah, he and does. Kwame Brown. Yeah, and yes, he's stubborn. You got to get people around you. That's the key. You know, get people around you who know the game and listen to them. Oh, you mean have a team? Don't just dictate to them, well, we're going to get this guy, this guy, this guy, you know, and and, and that's it. You know, you got to get people around you. You got to delegate that power, you know. That's true. That's, that's true. Being a leader, you know how to delegate power. So the, the NBA draft is coming up next Thursday. 
Who are the Knicks going to get? Drastic? Uh, uh, they didn't suck more for Okafor. I don't know. <laughs> He's like really grumbling know. about this. I like a point guard, I'll be honest with you. Okay. Start at the top, huh? But I don't know what Philly's gonna do. That's gonna be what it depends on. Yeah, that's a great question. You heard that uh Joel Embed, uh Philly's pick from last year. Was he the number one overall pick or number two or I think no, no, he slid, didn't he? Um Joel Embiid is a seven-foot-tall, incredibly, incredibly athletic big man uh, who played for Kansas. Uh, he's from Cameroon, and uh, he had a broken foot, and they still drafted him. And now the reports are saying that he could miss this season as well. And they drafted another injured player the year before, Nerlens Noel, uh, who was also a high draft pick. But Nerlens is healthy. He played most of last year and is probably going to play again this year. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of chatter that they're going to go out there and and grab a point guard uh, or maybe another big man now that Joel is looking like he was the number three yeah, pick. They're still the Sixers though, so you never know. You can be trying to make sense out of crazy, you become crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> same with the Knicks in that same regard. So who the heck knows? All I can Dude. say is at least I have Phil Jackson. I feel a little bit more confident. He's not going to do anything crazy um, as opposed to our prior GMs. I don't know, man. Bringing in our Andrea Bargnani, that wasn't crazy? Um, That was not him. That wasn't Phil. Oh, that's true. Well, what was the crazy this year for the Knicks? Because there was some crazy. Well, they, look, they dumped J.R. Smith and Iman Shumper. That was kind of crazy at the time. But, you know, it's almost like how, you know, you guys always talk about addition by subtraction. You get rid of some baggage or just to clear it up. And Prigioni uh, actually played well for his new team as well. The tough trade, maybe, if you look at it, was getting rid of Tyson Chandler for Jose Calderon. That was a little questionable. Yeah, that was a lot questionable. Mm. At the, the time, I didn't think it was, to be honest with you. It looked like they got a bunch of decent guys. Well, I mean, the Spanish something. point guard logjam never became apparent until they missed out on Rubio. Well, <laughs> Rubio could be expendable again, it seems like. <laughs> if, if they go for a point guard, then you know, they might move Rubio. So. Oh, man, if they could have only gotten Rubio with Prigioni and Calderon, then they would have had the big three. Mm. Nice. <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> the, tra the Trace Amigos. I don't know. I'm still kind of stunned that that uh, Jam and Jimmy <laughs> Dolan picked Isaiah Thomas, a man who basically like cost him a multi-multi-million dollar court decision for being a misogynist and harassing the women in his office, and he made Isaiah the president of a women's basketball team. Women's basketball team, yeah. Yeah, very curious. He has, very curious. He has a way with the girls, man. You know. That's a. I'm sure, I'm sure <laughs> Phil can't be excited about that. Even sharing, <laughs> smelling Zeke in the hallway can't even be good for him, you know. Now I'm looking at the the USA Today mock draft, and they think that the T Wolves are going to pick up Okafor that Carl Anthony Towns, who's Kentucky center, is going to get drafted by the Lakers. Um, 
which I think that those guys are one two. There's no question about that. Those two guys are are yeah, one and two. And the Lakers have always liked to to build around that marquee big man. Sure. Then they're projecting the Sixers, and obviously this is a couple days old. No, this is today, uh, the fifteenth. Yep. Uh, they're projecting the Sixers to have uh, to pick D'Angelo Russell, uh, point guard from Ohio State, which I think he's a very interesting pick. And you have to remember that the Sixers did get rid of their previous number one pick and point guard MCW. Um, and Drew Holiday. And Jay Ru Holiday. <laughs> you know, if the Sixers just kept everybody they've had in the last three years, Jay Ru, Iggy, uh, <laughs> you know, They'd have a heck of a team. Uh, and then the Knicks, uh, they're projecting the Knicks to pick Willie Cauley-Stein from Kentucky. Seven-foot-tall Kentucky center. He's kind of, yeah, I mean, with the fourth pick overall. They really like him. Phil says they definitely do like him. They liked him in the pre-workouts. He was counting Kentucky a lot. Phil Jackson was. I know they're definitely enamored with this kid. But um, and and I think they're a little scared about the other guy from uh, that was playing in China last year. Even though he could be a you know a real a real deal ball player. What about the guy uh, from Wisconsin? They'd rather go with the guy with the Kentucky pedigree, I guess. Hmm. I mean, this is a mock draft. We're we're just yeah. using no, this know, for discussion purposes. And, uh, yeah. At the end of the day, I really think it's going to be what a silly do, you know. Well, interestingly, this mock draft thinks that uh, Frank Kaminsky, who everybody is very, very high on, yeah, like will him. fall all the way to 13. Ah, I don't see that. And their mock draft not sees... Mike Kaminsky's son, is it? I don't, I don't know. know. Remember him from the Sixers? Good question. Mike Kaminsky. That's a good question. K-I-M? No, K-A-M-I-N-S-K-Y. Uh, uh, not even close. Um, but interestingly, they think that the Heat will bypass uh, Ke- Kelly Oubre, who everybody thinks is like a consensus wing player pick. Uh, he's six foot seven with very long arms. Uh, he's a swing guy, pretty raw athlete. And they're thinking that the Heat will reach for Devin Booker, who's another one and done player from Kentucky. He's a six foot six shooting guard, uh, who I haven't heard about. But, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, can we all agree that uh, wing is the the place where the Heat need the, the help? Yeah, of course, because you got Wade on the way out, man. Let's, let's, let's be realistic here. Well, do you think Wade is really going to go? No, he's not. No, no, I mean, I don't mean go. I mean, but he's on the way. He's at the end of his career. That's what oh, I mean. yeah. building a team around Wade. Right, exactly. No, no. He, I agree, he's yeah. at the end of his career right now. Yeah. He's at the end. I mean, you know, uh, uh, from a franchise perspective, it makes sense to tie him up for a few years. As long as the contract is declining over yeah, those three feasible, years, not yeah. growing. Yeah, yeah. you keep him around. Don't get rid of him. But, you know, he's on the way out, though. He's, he's at the end. Definitely at the end. Well, I mean, you know, he managed to play in something like 81% of the team's games last year, and he, he averaged 21 points a game, which yeah. is good for 11th well. in the NBA. He yeah, did he very did well. well. Yeah, he did well. I agree. But I just don't feel like he can keep improving on that no. because just, you know, the, the body says you're old. That's it. That's it. That's right. I mean, you can keep going for a while, but, you know, how long until he decides that he's, uh, like, going to play Paul Pierce's position? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, the deadly yeah. sixth man that you bring in right. for the last five minutes of the game that's going to light up the other team. Right, right. 
you know, the big question is, does he want to do that for the Heat, or does he want to travel onward and do the Timmy Hardaway thing? I don't think Do the Alonzo Mourning thing. Do the, ah, oh, you know, I got to get this extra dollar and be a starter. I don't, on think, back I don't think money is a concern with him with all these endorsement deals that he has. You but know? It's, it appears to be. Yeah, but I think I think I don't think we should get so excited about that. Riley and Aronson are going to let him leave. Okay, parting thoughts, real fast. We have one minute left. What's going to happen with these finals? Who's going to win? How many games? Drastic. Um, I'm going to go G State in seven. I think Cleveland might have one last ounce of fighting them. Doctor B. Well, I've been saying it from the beginning, man. G State in six. Okay, it's I'm gonna, I'm going with your G State in six. I thought it would have been five, and that is all the time we have tonight for Drastic Fanatic, Dr. B, Joe Cardona, and everybody that's been on the show tonight. Thanks for being around. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next Monday night. This is the Only in Miami show. Hey,